0: And talk about uh, terrible odds we're going to be in first Kings chapter eighteen if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there I, I do kind of well, not apologize. I never apologize for reading God's word, but uh, we are going to jump around a little bit, so kind of bear with me. That may or may not be the right verses on the screen. <laughs> so as we found out this morning. Um, but we're, there's a lot to cover here. Um, but I want to talk about terrible odds. Has anyone ever faced terrible odds? It's a situation in life you just you're up against it, right? Anybody Anybody been in a situation? You're like I'm. Just the odds are not in my favor. Okay, right. So uh, you know it's a, not a fun feeling when you're when you. Know, like the odds of this working out for me is just not very good. Um, I'm someone who likes things to be fair. Anyone like to, things to be fair? Right, absolutely. Um, I have I have children like that. That's not fair. They cheated. Right? It's, it's certainly it's always on one side too. It's always on the kid that's complaining the most. And like, what are you talking about? Um, but anyway, um, I like things to be fair. And in fact, as a kid, I remember oftentimes I would never be the kid that would get in fights at school or anything like that. But if I felt like the situation was unfair, I had no problem jumping in and trying to even the playing field. Right? I just, I find myself oftentimes uh, doing that and uh you know even as a youth pastor now we play a lot of games in youth group right and so our youth can attest to this a lot of times we'll be starting a game and if i see one team just pummeling the other i'm jumping in right <laughs> i'm gonna tell team. i'm gonna try to even it out and uh, it's not just me some other adults too i'm like hey we're, we're gonna help this team out and uh so just just because i like things to be fair i like to, to be even i like to balance things out uh, but life's not always like that right like we tell our kids all the time life's not fair Right, And uh, sometimes the odds are stacked against us. But the good news is that God specializes in, uh, in, in coming through when the odds are stacked against you. God specializes in beating terrible odds. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that from uh, the story of Elijah at Mount Carmel. And I, I want to kind of just set the tone a little bit and kind of give you some context because there's a lot into this story. So I, I encourage you, if you have not familiarized yourself with this story, to read it on your own time, um, to read it all the way through. But First uh, Kings 18, um, we see in verse, uh, verse 1, it says, After many days the word, of, the, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And so what's happening is um, King Ahab is married to Queen Jezebel. And if we know anything about Jezebel, we know that it's, she's, she's bad news. She's, she, there's no other way to put it. She's bad news. Uh, she has brought in the, the prophets of Baal and of Asherah. There's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 uh, prophets of Asherah. And, and what we've found is these are the prophets that are going to try to drive Israel and take them away from the true Lord. Right? Keep them, to worship them instead of God. This isn't like an either or or just kind to sprinkle in. Their main objective, Jezebel's main objective is to corrupt Israel. Is to, to drive them away from God drive them away from the land of milk and honey that they've, they've enjoyed to this point because God brought them out of Egypt, right? And we, they've seen their ancestors um, be fed with, with manna. They, we've seen God's provision. They've heard the stories of God. They know the Lord. But the problem is they're being corrupted by this evil queen who has brought in other gods. And so that's where you find yourselves in this story as this famine has taken place because God is punishing the nation and he's telling Ahab the reason why is because of these false gods and because they've allowed room to take, take them in another direction as far as their worship and who their allegiance belongs to. And so, but Ahab is a little bit dense. <laughs> Ahab doesn't quite get it because what we see here is we see Ahab is blaming Elijah for the famine, even though Elijah's already told him exactly what the famine is there for. It was because of his corruption by his wife that's leading the nation of Israel astray. And so he blames Elijah, and Elijah blames Ahab, but of course we know why. We know that, that Elijah is right, and so the, he kind of runs off, and he, and all the prophets of God are now being persecuted or being killed and being murdered. It's important to note that by Jezebel. He's, he's run off all the prophets of God. There's 150 of them left. Obadiah's got 150 of them hiding in a cave, and Obadiah's bringing them bread and water to, to survive. That's how bleak things are for the people of God. The prophets of God, the ones that are stand firmly for God, they're in hiding if they haven't been killed. And so Elijah confronts him And Elijah um, shows up on the scene uh, with Ahab in verse uh, 17. He says, And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. That's important to note the, the allegiance that they have. They eat at Jezebel's table. So Abraham, Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? That's important. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Gee, I wonder Why? Whew. If, if, if the Lord is God, what, don't quit messing around. Follow him. If it's Baal, then follow him. But quit. you can't be in differing opinions. Quit limping around and trying to figure out what's true and what's not. You know what's true. You're either going to follow it or you're going to abandon it. That's the only choice you got. And so here's what he devises. It says, Elijah said to the people, I, I, even I, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And, of course, we, he's not even mentioned the 400 uh, Um, of eshara so he's outnumbered 850 to 1 Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it to pieces and lay it on the wood but put no fire to it but i will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it and you go call upon the name of your god and i will call upon the name of the lord and the god who answers by fire he is god and all the people answered it is well spoken they agreed so here's what we have here. We, we see what's going to play out. So they're going to call to their God. They're going to call to Baal. They're going to call to Esther. They're going to say, we, we need you to light fire. We need you to, to set this ablaze. They're going first, right? Elijah's like, you go first, go for it. And there's a slotted time for them and a, and a lot of time for Elijah, as we'll see later. And this is probably one of the best known stories in one of the Old Testament. But what often we miss sometimes, we miss something in the story that I've missed my entire life growing up and hearing the story but it's probably one of the best knowns because it's a contest with the prophets of, of Baal. Elijah confronted the threat of total apostasy in the northern kingdom of Israel. We understand that they're trying to turn people away. Jezebel's trying to turn people away from the God of worship, the worship to worship the Canaanite gods. But Elijah announced that a drought would inflict the land. The blessings of the land flowing with milk and honey would be withdrawn. They, they were, God brought them to this land to enjoy the blessings. But see, we often forget the blessings of God when we start to get distracted and go another way. It's how easy we forget what God has done for us. The showdown came with a challenge for a contest on Mount Carmel between the Lord's prophet and the prophets of Baal. It would be easy to see this as nothing more than a show of supernatural strength, a contest to see whose side could get their God to do the most spectacular miracle. But that's not what this was about. Much more is at stake here. Elijah challenged the people of Israel to decide who they would follow. The Lord of Baal? Or standing alone against the 450 prophets? He told them to prepare a sacrifice but light no fire and then call to Baal to hear them. So it happened and all day long the the pagan prophets called on Baal but there was no response. Now note what Elijah did. We read the story and we see that not only did Elijah call on God to light a fire, but first he repaired the altar that had been thrown down. The altar prepared for the Lord. Now why did they do that? Because he had to set the tone. He had to remind Israel of what a sacrifice to the Lord looks like. And why did they sacrifice to the Lord in the Old Testament? To ask for forgiveness of their sins. Elijah was reminding them that the sin that they committed was the sin of adultery, of turning away from God and turning towards other gods. And so he had to show them. He said, first he drew them near. Now, why did he draw them near? There's two reasons he drew drew them near. One, he wanted to show them that there's no tricks, that this is all from God. He said, come close. Come close. This isn't me. I'm not using some some accelerants in this this water I'm going to douse the wood with. It's not really gasoline or anything like that. It, no, this is the real deal. He wanted them to he wanted that there to be no doubt in their minds that God brought the fire down. The second reason was he was reminding them what it looks like to make an altar to the Lord because many of them had forgotten the law of Moses. They had forgotten what it looked like to repent of their sins to make a sacrifice. So he's showing them, he's reminding them what the path of reconciliation with God looks like. He's giving them a great service here. This isn't about a miracle. He could have chose any miracle on the planet. He could have chosen all kinds of ways God to show off his power. But he specifically chose a burnt, sacrifice, burnt offering because that was the way that God brought his people back to him in the Old Testament. He was showing them the way. So this is what Elijah did. He said, he repaired the altar of the Lord according to God's original directions. You know how you know God's directions? you got to read it first. He was listening to the Lord. He knew the law of Moses. The sacrifice was laid on the altar and saturated with water. Then Elijah approached at the time prescribed for the offering. He prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel to hear him. He was not simply baking on a spectacular miracle. He was following the word of the Lord concerning the sacrifice for sin. And that's what, we, that's what we can't miss this morning. God always provides a way back towards him. Even when we've gotten distracted, even when we've gone astray, or even when we've, we say we believe in God, we say we're following him, but our lives don't show that to be true. So first, we need to understand there's three groups of people in this text. Number one, there's Elijah, the lone prophet of God. Number two, we have the 450 prophets of Baal and foreign prophets of Asherah. They were trying to lead people away from God. And then number three, we have the group of the indecisive crowd. Those who wanted to serve both God and the false gods. Can I tell you, church, today those same groups exist? We have the group of true believers who always seem to be in the minority. You ever felt like a minority as a Christian? You ever felt like you're outnumbered? Yeah, of course, especially in today's world. People look at us like we got two heads just simply for believing what the Bible says. Like, Where would you get that idea? Well, there's this book. You might have heard of it. Right? The truth, it's true that it's a number one bestseller of all time, and yet we're weird for following it. You can see it's popular to say you're a Christian. That's, that's, that's okay. You can say you're a Christian all you want. Just don't tell me how to live my life. Don't judge me. But see, the problem is, I hear that all the time. That people are so afraid of other people judging them when it's God's judgment you should be worried about. What He called sin two thousand years ago is still sin today, and will be sin tomorrow. We either follow God according to His word, or we don't follow Him at all. Every day we see this example. Number, number three, I'm sorry, number two. The false that we have the false prophets. They still exist today. They may not be prophets of Baal, of Esherah, but we have the false prophet of the Hollywood, of the godless agenda that's being peddled and pushed in every direction, whether it's television, whether it's movies, whatever, wherever you want to look and forget about social media. Now they have access to us 24-7 through these little devices. It's worse than ever before. They're, they're trying to show us that... It's, it's okay to be different. It's okay to follow your own path. It, it, that, nothing can be further than truth. The only path worth following is the, it, God's path for us. We have social media influencers who are deconstructing their faith. Can I just, can I just put a coin in the meter as Pastor Dave says sometimes? Listen, I, I hear this all the time. Our young people are inundated with people who claim to be have once been a Christian. And I put that in quotes for a reason. And they're now deconstructing their faith. They're saying they, that whatever they believed before, they realized they were just being brainwashed or whatever the claims they want to make or something horrible happened to them in church or by some pastor did something to them or, or whatever the case may be. Can I tell you the, where we get messed up as believers is we put our faith and trust in man or we put our faith and trust in institutions or in a church title or in any other group of, of things outside of God himself. If, we don't, if our faith and trust is built on anything but a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are in big trouble. We are destined to be disappointed. We are destined to be put down and to, to say, well, I just don't understand. If, if your faith can crumble because of a, a, a man or a woman or an institution, your faith was in the wrong thing to begin with. If you can walk away from your faith, you never had faith to start to start with. And so it's so important that we understand that we must have faith that is our own our relationship with God is, is, is as real to us as, as the person sitting next to you. You can see breathing with your own, with your own eyes. God wants us to understand that he, his relationship with him is something that can never be taken from us. But if only if our faith and trust is put in the right thing. We have false teachers and false prophets today that are progressive preachers who ignore sin and don't preach the true gospel. The worst part of this is that they call themselves preachers. But we say it all the time. They're so afraid of sin. They're so afraid of hell. They're so afraid of the very things that they preach, the book they preach from. It's like those passages just don't exist because it never comes out of their mouth. They're false prophets. I don't care what, you, what title they want to put, the, put on themselves or others might put on them. The truth of the matter is the Bible is very clear on who they are. They're leading other people away from God, the one true God. And then thirdly, we have a group today that you have those who are trying to serve both the true God of the Bible and also the one they're more comfortable with. That's what it's all about, right? I mean, when it comes down to it, we have people who are firmly believe that they're following God and that they're cool with God and everything's great, but... The God that they think they know doesn't exist. It's a God they created in their own mind. Every day I see examples of these Christians. They have no idea what the Bible says or have any interest in following it. They've created a counterfeit God to follow. And what's worse, they have convinced themselves that he is the true God. It would be like if I walk around with a $100 bill that that is 100% fake. And I try to use this. I go to a store and I try to use this this hundred dollar bill. I gave it to the cashier, and the cashier looks at it, and she, she immediately knows that this thing is not real. It's not the right color. It's not the right weight. It's got it doesn't have the right markings. It doesn't do, pass the little light test they do. I mean, none, none of it works. And and I am convinced. I'm just adamant that no, Yo, you have to accept that hundred dollar bill. I know it's true. I know it's the real thing. And I look unbelievably foolish, because she's like, no, there's, there's markers, there's things they train us on to show when it's real and when it's fake, and this clearly does not meet any of the standards to be a real $100 bill. The Bible is the standard and the mark that we all look at to show if we truly are saved, if we are true followers of Jesus Christ. And we walk around, we don't even know what stand, what the standard is, because we never opened the book. And we can go around and convince ourselves and be passionate about the fact that we know that we're saved. We know that our God is is, is who we we believe he is. And we're not even following the same standards. of where the whole concept of God came from, his word. So there's five lessons we can learn from Mount Carmel. And I'm going to move through these quickly. But number one is this. God specializes in beating terrible laws. It's what makes him God. Think about this. All throughout the Bible, we see this. We see God beat terrible odds. Think about David and Goliath. Who would pick a shepherd boy over a giant? A giant that the entire, the entire army was scared of, right? This is a shepherd boy. He wasn't even in the army. He was bringing his brother's lunch. He's a little bitty shepherd boy, and yet he took on Goliath. What, what kind of odds are those? Who, who would pick David? In fact, they laughed at him when he said that he wanted to fight him. Who would pick Daniel over a den of lions? I don't know about you. I don't want to take on one, much less a whole bunch of them. <laughs> Daniel over at Den alliance. Lions. What about Gideon's army? He got whittled down, to, whittled down, whittled down, to, all the way down to 300 men. Finally, that's where they stopped. Versus the Midianites of 135,000. Those aren't good odds. How about all the forces of hell? Versus Jesus on the cross, beaten and bruised and bloody, hanging naked and yet here's the difference maker here's the game changer Romans 8:31 if god is for us who can be against us right if god is for us who can be against us it doesn't matter what the odds are it doesn't matter what they say about the odds it doesn't matter what what seems like it might be stacked against us if god is on our side it's all that matters it's not even fair it's not even fair the reason Elijah could face those 850 pro- false prophets was because he knew what God had done in his life. He, he, God met with him with a widow. God met with him in the valley. God sustained him. God encouraged him. God built him up. He, knew he was ready for this moment to show Israel, remind them who the one true God was. Number two, we can learn from Mount Carmel, is that passion and sincerity are not signs of spirituality. Let me say that again. Passion and sincerity are not signs of spirituality. They cut themselves when they, when they were calling out to their false gods and they were, they were chanting, they said, Please bring, bring fire, like, and, and nothing was happening. Elijah began to mock them. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's traveling. And the reason he said this was because that was the mythology behind Baal. That way, that he, sometimes he traveled and sometimes he slumbered and sometimes he did all these other things. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Just shout louder. Right? Maybe he had a, no, no I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but you, you never know, like he was mocking them. He's like, what's, what's the problem? You just, you talk, told me about this great God of yours that you're so convinced is real. See, this is where that foolishness comes in. When we start talking about God, well, he doesn't want, he wants me to live my true self. No, he doesn't. He wants you to, he wants you to live the way he co- told you to live according to his word. He wants you to deny your flesh, not give into it. We sound so ridiculous, We just like they did. They were crying out to God, and they're so convinced themselves, because with all sincerity and all passion, they were so passionate, they began to cut themselves, which was against the Old Testament law, by the way. They were bleeding out, because they were so convinced, maybe if I just do a little bit more, if I sacrifice a little more, maybe he'll answer. And there was no response. No one came. Nothing happened. Passion and sincerity are not signs of spirituality. Despite their efforts, despite their passion, despite them cutting themselves, nothing happened. The Apostle Paul was once passionately imprisoning Christians. He thought he was right. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do until he had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And then everything changed. You can be passionate about something and still be wrong. I know a lot of passionate, sincere people who believe the way they are living is right for them, but God says they're going to split hell wide open. You say, well, that doesn't sound very kind or loving. You know what's not kind or loving? Watching people go to hell and being silent. And yet every single day, some of us, we have that opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, to warn them, that they're on the road to destruction, and we stay silent. We must be willing to point out the differences between our God and the gods of this world. That's why we're here. If we don't tell them who will, we have to be obedient. Number three, we all have a choice to make. We can't afford to be indecisive. Elijah pointed out to Israel, he said, this is the choice you have. If, if they're God, then, then so be it. Follow them. But, if, but if, the true, if the Lord is God, then follow him. There's no room to serve two masters. James tells it this way in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, you adulterous people. He calls them adulterous for a reason, because what does adultery mean? It means being unfaithful, right? You unfaithful people, you people who have gone astray from God, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We are kidding ourselves if we truly believe that we can say we're Christians, if we can have just a little sprinkle, a little Jesus on us when we come to church, or when we pray sometimes, or when we feel like it, or we read our Bibles when we feel like it, but the the rest of the week, the rest of our lives, we're looking at it, there's no evidence that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ at all. We've made ourselves an enemy of God if we are friends with the world. We can't have it both ways. Number four, God wants us to restore His people to His way of reconciliation. There was two other times in the Old Testament we see fire fall on the burnt offering. This was not a, just a miracle that took place because God just brought fire down. This has actually happened two other times in the Old Testament we see this happen, where fire falls from the heavens, from down. Fire doesn't do that. I don't know if you've started a fire lately, but usually you have to start it, and you've got to put the accelerant in there, and you've got to put it on the wood. And it comes from the bottom to the top, right? No, Fire fell. So this isn't just some miraculous thing that's taken place. He's saying, listen, this is how you confess your sins to the Lord. This is how you you ask for forgiveness of your sins. You make sacrifices. And God provides the fire. God commands. Elijah was very careful to set up the altar the way God commands to offer a sacrifice for sin. Israel's sin was adultery, and he showed them how to return to the Lord. Aren't you thankful there's always a way to return to the Lord? Number 5 God takes idolatry seriously. Look at verse 40 with me. Verse 40. And Elijah said to them, "Seize the prophets of Baal, let no one, not one of them escape." And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. But that doesn't seem very nice or loving. But can I tell you that in Deuteronomy 13, one through five, that's exactly what God told Elijah to do. That's what God commanded. That had to be done, the false prophets. These are people leading others straight to hell. God takes the sin of adultery very seriously. And so should we. And yet, oftentimes, if you really stop and you think about the church today, you think about Christians today, the pro- if I would, I would say that their number one problem that we have is we've lost our way. We're committing the sin of idolatry. It's not like the Old Testament. There's no, there's no specific name. We don't, we don't worship. It's not Baal or God. It's not that cut and dry. It's, it's interwoven with all the things that we do on a daily basis that take our focus and take our time and take our energy and take our money and take everything else away from us. So we have nothing left to give with God. We busy ourselves with things that are lesser things that don't matter. And in the process, we're committing the sin of adultery because we're putting something above our relationship with the Lord. We, we want to soften the blow of our sin and say, well, God will forgive us. What's the big deal? God says it's a very big deal that we follow him according to his word. I have a four-year-old, uh, Jaden, and uh, he likes to, I don't know if you know much about four-year-olds, um, but they like to do things on their own. They're very adamant about doing things on their own. And uh, just the other day, I remember uh, he was on the couch, and he was trying to put this dinosaur thing together, and this is not a toy that he was really meant to put together. This is more for an adult. And so uh, I said, well, Jaden, do you mind if I help you with that? And, and I'd love to help you. And he's like, no, Daddy, I got it. Okay, and so um, I, I said, okay, well, if you need my help, I'm right here. I'd, I'd be more than happy to help you, knowing what's coming, uh, trying to prevent it, but it, to no, no uh, success. Um, so he began to, to work on it, and he's, all of a sudden, he gets frustrated, and he's, ah, can't get it. I said, well, buddy, I, I'm right here. I can help you. I promise. I, like I told you, just ask nicely, and I'd love to help you. No, 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 Dad, I got it. I can do it. I can do it. Okay, all right. And uh, before long, his groanings get more loud, and he gets more and more frustrated, and finally he just kind of throws it a little bit on the couch, and he gets frustrated. I'm like, buddy, are you ready for daddy to help you now? He goes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he said to me, he goes, daddy, I really wanted to do it myself. And I said, buddy, I, I understand. I know you did. I know you did. I, I, I get it. I get frustrated when I can't do things myself sometimes, too but you know what, it brings daddy joy to help you. And I, I, if you would just ask me to begin with, we, you wouldn't have to get so frustrated. And I thought to myself, how often does that look like a relationship with the Lord? We get so frustrated because we're trying to do things on our own. And God's looking back just right here, just ask for help. We were never supposed to do it in the first place. God has the instruction manual. God knows the plan and purpose for all the things that we experience in life. And the purpose is always the same. It draws closer to Him so we can bring glory to His name. But if we're too busy, distracted, and trying to do things on our own and getting frustrated, we're just wasting everyone's time. Let's go to the Lord, seek Him. Lord, I I can't do this on my own. That's the point. We need him. We need him every single day. This morning, my question is just really simple, is what do you choose? Do you choose the one true God? Do you choose to follow the God of the Bible according to his plan and his purposes? Because in order to follow it, you gotta know it see, the problem is Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. And we got a lot of people claiming to love Jesus, but they're not obeying his commands. Because they don't know him. If you truly want to not be guilty of the sin of adultery, we must seek God in him first. We must look to ourselves and have some self-reflection to say, what is it in my life that is leading me away from God? Because what Elijah did is he gathered all the prophets of Baal and he slaughtered them. He took it seriously said, this is not going to happen anymore. I'm not giving no chance for the people of Israel to follow these ways anymore. It's over. It's done. We have to take the same drastic measure with the idols in our own lives. It might mean taking some drastic changes. It might mean putting some filters and and time limits and and accountability things on our cell phones. It might mean changing what we're we're letting ourselves view on the television screens or the music we listen to or any number of things that we've let seep into our life and we think it's no big deal. But when we do some self-reflection, we start to look at what it is that we're taking in and how it's affecting our lives, we realize it's leading us away from the Lord and not towards him. What is it in each one of our lives that we need to surrender some idols. We need to lay them down at the feet of Jesus and ask him to destroy them. Because we're tired of trying to think, do things on our own. We're ready to live for him and him alone. If we know God is true, if we know, if we're convinced yourself, because you know what God's done for you in the past, you know that he is the one true God, then follow him and stop following lesser things. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. In a minute, we're going to have a hymn of invitation and we're going to to give an opportunity to do what God's leading you to do. But before we do that, my prayer this morning is that you would hear this loud and clear. God wants to be your sole focus of worship. And the reality of it is, we've let other things creep in our lives by the things that we say, the things that we do, their actions, we're serving two masters. And Jesus says, you can't do that. You must follow, obey one, not the other. Every single one of us in this room, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we have things that we need to surrender over to the Lord. We have idols that we need to lay down in order to truly follow him. My prayer is that each one of us is sensitive to what it is the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. And in a moment, we're going to come forward and that those who need to be saved or baptized and we're going to church. But if you are sitting here and you say, I know there's idols in my life. I know there's things that have distracted me from, from the one true God. I've not been following him the way he's, he's commanded me to do. I've been, I've been making a God that, that I'm comfortable with, that he's okay with this sin. or He, he looks the other way at this thing and you feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning, I pray that you come to the altar. This is Elijah where told the people of Israel to come close, come see, come to the altar so that you can see the power of God. I pray that you would come to the altar, that you would lay down the idols in your life that's holding you back from living the life of following Jesus that he's calling you to live. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.